Before we open the word this morning, I want to remind you we're in a season also, and we're, we're you know, reminding ourselves that knowing the truth is, is not what the truth is for. The truth is, the truth is there to change us and to be reflected in how we live. And so out of our study in Acts, we took that passage in chapter 4 where they sold things and gave money to the apostles and said, distribute it as have you need. We, we, we've said, let's, uh, let's see if God might do that in our midst. And so we have a board out there called a sharing board, and we invite you to make a need known. What do you need? And to trust that there's people within the body that have an abundance that would, would meet that need. And so I want you to know that'll be out there again over, over this week and the next. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know what you've heard, but a number of folks have come to me at, at uh, Brentwood and, and here as well. And it's just amazing what God can do uh, when we trust him and we trust his spirit to lead us. And so I just want to invite you to be prayerful about that as well. You know, staying with our, our uh, 40 days of prayer and fasting that you might continue to pray about um, as you walk by that board. You may not grab a card or whatever, but we can say, Lord, would you meet the needs in our body uh, through us? I don't expect every thing to be taken off the board, but that's not as important as the fact that what God puts on your heart, you would make known, and what God puts on your heart, you would seek to meet that need. Uh, In the field of uh, economic studies, the research is unequivocal. It comes out more and more verified uh, that one of the keys to uh, erasing uh, global poverty is not more money. It's actually more hope. Uh, Nicholas Kristof, he's writing in a May 2015 uh, New York Times article. The, the, the article is entitled, The Power of Hope is Real. And he says this, quote, A vast randomized trial, which is the gold standard of evidence, involving 21,000 people in six countries, suggests that a particular aid package gives very poor families a boost that continues after the program ends. In India, the economic return was 433%. The heart of this aid package is a cow, a few goats, or even bees. Why would a cow have such an impact? And he goes on to say, because it gives people a reason to hope. Now, you and I know what uh, science and, and research is, is confirming over and over today, and that is that those who have a measure of hope uh, in, in, in the medical side of things, in terms of health, those with hope, having endured or in the midst of uh, a, a health issue, improve significantly more than those who don't have, have hope. It's not even about the medicine at that point. It's about the hope in their heart. Uh, I think all of us know that, uh, that, that, that hope would be something that, that on the one hand, we, we, can't, we can't live without it. But on the other hand, hope can be pretty difficult to live with. Let me explain. How many of you have hoped for something and it, it didn't happen? Or you've hoped something wouldn't happen and it did. How many have been disappointed by hope? I'm serious. I, I have been. We've all been disappointed. 
And so with this, with this idea of hope, we can find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. I mean, can we have hope and hope? I, I don't know. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be tracking with some Advent themes here over the next few weeks, and we'll step back into plan A. Um, Romans 5, 1 to 5. I want to say this. There is hope for living with hope. There really is. And what we're going to find here is Paul is going to give us the reason. Uh, you know, in, in, in the world, you, you really do have at least two kinds of hope. I mean, you can go for this hope that we've all experienced, or is there another hope different from what we think of as hope that is the real deal. I think there, I, I think there is, and Paul's going to describe that here. Follow along, because I want to read the whole, and then I'm going to go back through it and just grab a few almost devotional thoughts as we consider this as our Advent theme of hope today. Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, there's one phrase in that passage that really is difficult for me at times. I don't know if you would say the same. And hope does not disappoint. And I want to say, are you kidding me, Paul? I mean, we all just said, I've been... What's the nature of this hope Paul is speaking of that does not disappoint? I want to walk through three parts of this passage. I'm going, to, I'm going to call it the ground of hope, or what's the foundation of this hope? Uh, what, what's the growth of this? How does this hope, if it's, if it's grounded on this, how does it grow within us? The ground, the growth, and then I'm just going to touch on this, but I want to I don't want to miss the glory of this hope. So there's three G words, okay? We can go with the ground, the growth, and the glory of what I want to describe as biblical hope. Um, some of your translations in this passage say, and hope does not bring shame. And, and, and the, the, the Greek word literally means to bring shame, but it's translated in most translations that we teach out of the New American Standard as does not disappoint because that, that does carry the literal idea. Think of it in this way. If you hope for something to happen and, and you let it be known that this is your hope and then it doesn't happen, what do you feel? What do you feel? You feel shame, you feel disappointment. That's the idea we get even when it says, and hope does not disappoint. The Oxford Dictionary, let's start here, defines hope as this, a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. Okay, it's a feeling of, 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 you know, I've got an expectation, it's a desire that something will happen. And I think we would go, okay, so that, if that's hope, 
then we are dealing with two different kinds of hope here because no one can, can desire something to happen and guarantee every time that it will happen. You see that? So, so Paul says there's a hope that doesn't disappoint and then there's this hope that, that you can't guarantee it won't disappoint us. Let's go through the ground, the growth, and the glory. The ground, that's the foundation. I'm just going to read it again. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Four things. The therefore. He says, therefore. So we've got to stop right there and I don't have time to take this, but it means in light of everything I've written, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, chapter 5, therefore, so he's going back to in light of all this, and what is Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 about? It's about justification by faith. It's about that, the fact that in Christ Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so he begins, therefore, Past tense, having been justified by faith, having been declared just. I'm I'm trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he did that for me. And when we believe that, our sins are forgiven because Jesus has paid the price, and we we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness, and we are declared just. That's what it means to be justified. He says, Having been justified, we then have, now this is a present tense, past tense, present tense, we possess peace with God. Now, biblical peace is not everybody put down their guns, put down your fist, the fighting is over. There's a treaty. There's a peace deal. That, that, that's not at the heart of biblical peace. At the heart of biblical peace is the Old Testament idea of shalom. And that idea is everything is as it should be. That's way deeper than, all right, we're not going to hit each other anymore. Everything as it should be. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is the ground floor. This is the ground, the foundation of this hope. And then it says, uh, that we have been introduced into this grace in which we stand. What's, what's Paul describing here? He's describing the fact that when someone puts their faith in Christ and is therefore justified before God, possessing peace, now it's as it should be with God, then we have entered into, God has brought us into a space, if you will, a place of grace. And why is it a place or space of grace? Because our salvation is all of grace. We don't get to this place of grace by what we did. We don't bring our good works. Here's what I've earned. I deserve this. I've done what you said. No, that it's, it's of grace. It's all that God loved us and brought us to this place. The only thing we bring is our sin, and God saves us. So, so we've been introduced to this place of grace, and then it ends with this idea that we exult in hope of the glory of God. I'm going to grab glory at the very end, but what, what this is describing is that from this place of grace, we boast. That's the idea around we exult. We, we, we boast, we proclaim that, that we believe while we don't 
possess it fully now, that our future is that we will see Jesus face to face, and therefore we will be like him. That we will reveal the glory, the radiance, all that God is, and all the weight of his nature and character and holiness, that we will actually be that with him if we are in Christ Jesus. Now, think about it this way. Right now, we know that we live to glorify God as Christians. What does that mean? That that we live our lives in such a way that people see a a glimpse of God's glory. (laughs) Not, Not much sometimes, but see a glimpse of God's glory. So we know it's not complete. But Paul is saying that we boast in this now because there is a future in which the fullness of that glory will be. Are you with me? That now it's not full, but it will be complete in our future. That's the foundation. So this hope we're going to talk about, it starts there on the ground floor. It starts with our justification by faith. I want to go to the growth. So, so okay, then where does, that, where does that kind of hope that doesn't disappoint, where does it rise up? Follow along in 3 and 4. He says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. In other words, we now, Paul says, in light of that, we actually boast in our, I'm going to use the word adversity, which is the idea behind tribulation. We actually boast in adversity. I hate that. <laughs> it's like, really? I mean, let's boast about our future glory, but we're going to boast in our adversity, the, the idea of physical, mental, social, spiritual, economic, relational pain difficulty, hardship. We, 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 we boast in that. We, this kind of begins to unravel in my own mind. Why would we boast in this? I want to walk through it. It's not that we exult in adversity like, I love pain like that. I don't know, there's a commercial out now where they show people doing stupid stuff like bumping their head into the beam in the attic, you know, that one, or closing the thing in the door, you know. We don't boast. We don't do it like that. No, we, we boast in it because of what it produces. See the logic in his writing here. He says, now we boast in our adversity, boom, 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 because it produces what? What's the last thing it produces? Say it out loud. Hope, okay? So now we boast in this because it produces hope. Well, how does it produce hope? Track his logic with me. He says, adversity brings about Perseverance. Perseverance is the, it's the Greek word. It's two Greek words. Hupo mane. Hupo means under. Mane means to stay under. To persevere means to, 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 to be under the pressure and stay under the pressure. To stay under the adversity. I've talked about this. I think it was, might have been last year I talked about this. You know the, the mercury in thermometers and stuff? You know, I remember playing around that with kids. I don't even know if they still do it with kids. Maybe it's toxic. It'll kill you. But, but you know, you remember in high school, you'd have that mercury on your table in the science room, and, and it's all beaded up. And you remember what would happen when you try and push down on a bead of mercury? What happens when you try and push down on it? Where does it go? It won't stay under your finger. See, hupomene is the exact opposite. It is to say that the adversity that's on us, we stay under it. We don't slide out. We don't try and dodge it. We actually stay under it. Now, why do we stay under it? Keep going with the logic here. Perseverance, you see, leads to proven character. Okay, so we stay under it because it leads to proven character. 
uh, there is a massive difference between character and proven character. I don't, you know, some, some of you would do this if it was just you. So I've got to categorize this in this way. How many of you would put your children or your best friends or your family uh, on an airplane that is brand new, okay? It has been built according to specs. The engineers can show you the computer simulation that says everything works. This is what would happen if it... How many of you would put your loved one on a plane that hadn't been test flown? No, I, I wouldn't. No, you, no, that's why they have test pilots, right? And that's why they actually take a plane that everything's right but they test fly it to prove, okay? Now now it's been proven that it not only will take off, that it not only will fly, but most importantly, what? It'll land, right? And the same is true of our character. That that God's going to prove our character. Now, now this is how, this. I hope this ties together as we get to the, this last part. That that tribulations, adversity leads to perseverance, where we remain. We remain under it, and and remaining under that in Christ. You see, our character is is then proven. We have a proven character, and it says, in that proven character leads to hope. Listen to Thomas Schreiner. He's a Southern Seminary scholar. He writes this. Why does tested character spark hope? Because moral transformation constitutes evidence that one has really been changed by God. Thus, it assures believers that the hope of a future glory, remember he said this hope of the future glory, is not an illusion. Now, that's Schreiner, which I really appreciate. Let me, let me go Lloyd and get, try and get it even simpler. God allows adversity because adversity requires, if, if you're going to remain under the adversity, it requires the exercise of faith. Under the adversity, to remain under it requires the exercise of faith. And when we're under adversity, in faith, our character, our hearts change. This is how God changes us. And that transformed character produces biblical hope. All right, let me get it even skinnier if I can. God allows adversity because we change through adversity and in the change, we see in ourselves God's work. And when we see God's work in us, we know that God is keeping his promises. I will make it as simple as I can. God allows adversity so we can have hope. Now that, does that sound weird to you? God allows adversity so you and I can actually have hope. 
Not a hope that says, I hope this happens and, it does, and if, it, if it doesn't, it's going to crush me. Not that. No, no, no. God allows adversity for the believers so that we can actually have a hope that says, it's done. I, I, you know, I wish it wasn't that way. You know, I wish it was more like this. And we exult in peach pie. Knowing that peach pie brings about homemade whipped cream. And homemade whipped cream brings about Jenny's ice cream. And Jenny's ice cream brings about hope. Okay, I'm in. You know, it's like, I want that. But this is not the life of faith. And why, according to this text then, specifically verse 5, we'll look at, does this hope, why does this hope not disappoint? Why does this not bring shame? Okay, look at verse 5. It says, and hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This idea that, that we would hope and not be ashamed of the hope because it doesn't happen. Listen, Paul is reaching all the way back to the Psalms. This is the way it's always been. This is not a new thought. Psalm 22.5 says, To you they cried out and were delivered. In you, O God, they trusted and they were not disappointed. Psalm 25, 3. Indeed, none of those who wait for you, God, will be ashamed. Psalm 119, 116. Sustain me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. You see, Paul's just reaching back and saying, no, 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 this is a hope by which you will not be ashamed nor disappointed. Paul, by the way, Let me ask you this. When was the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? When does that happen? I'm being serious when I ask this. When does that happen? When when is the love of God poured out within our hearts? In other words, our whole being, mind, will, mind, will, feelings, delights, desires, all the heart. When was that poured out, the Holy Spirit given to us and it poured out within us? When in our life? At the moment you put your faith in. In Christ, Paul has in verse 5 gone all the way back to verse 1. He's at verse 1 now, having been justified by faith, you see. He's come full circle. For that's when the love of God's poured out in our hearts and we experience that love in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now this is where it gets really good if we grasp it. Notice... He is not speaking, men and women, of our love for God, but God's love for us. He's not talking about our love for God. He's talking about God's love for us. Here's the the message in a sentence. This hope will not disappoint Because it is based on God's love for us, not our love for God. That is a big deal. This hope's not going to disappoint because it's not based on my love for God. It's based on his love for me. I know some of you are thinking, Lloyd, I want to believe it, but but what what if when adversity comes... 
I'm more like mercury than a diamond. I just slide out from it. Then, then I won't get to the hope. I won't persevere. I won't make it to the hope. Let me ask you this. When you read that text, are there any conditions? In other words, when you read this, does it ever say, if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will... Are there any in here? Say it out loud. There are none, you see. If, if, our, if it's our love for God that gives us a, dis, a, a hope that doesn't disappoint, we're in big trouble. <laughs> we're in massive trouble. You may say this, well, I know people, I know people who, who, um, who say, well, I'm going to heaven, so I'm going to live like hell. You know, I'm, I'm going to heaven, so I'm going to do it. God is my witness. In 40 years of walking with Christ at some level, I have never heard someone say that. Now, you may have. I have never had someone say that to my face. I will say that I've met people and I know people who say they know Christ, honestly, and make choices and live hmm, contrary to what Christ says. I'm going to say two things about that, okay? The first is this. I actually see that person every day when I look in the mirror. That person's me. I don't always obey and sometimes I I disobey on purpose. I may fall, I do fall, I do fail, and may do so mightily, but I'm going to tell you, according to the gospel, I can't fall finally and fully if I truly know Christ. You know, if, if, if uh, I'll tell you, if in my own life, when I choose disobedience or I sin, you know what? I actually know what guilt feels like. Thank God. And when I feel that guilt, I over, I'll confess. You know, I just... A person that never feels the guilt of treading upon the grace of God, never feels guilt of treading upon God's grace. You know, that doesn't make me question God's grace. It doesn't make me question. It makes me question, do they really know God's grace? That's all. Let me be, let me be practical in this. When I talk about a hope that doesn't disappoint, please know I'm not talking about a hope that says, The cancer will be healed. The marriage will be restored. The friendship reconciled. The child's coming back home. The money's going to be there. We're going to get... That's not when I say there won't be disappointment. The hope that does not disappoint says, in the midst of a fallen world, when marriages do fall apart and friendships break and things never go the way they should and want it to and things I hope don't happen to happen, in the midst of that, hope that doesn't disappoint recognizes that God has said, I'm going to bring you through that. That will not destroy you. In fact, I will use it to transform you and I will get you from justification to glory. That's what it says. And Sometimes I have trouble believing it myself, but God has said it. I will get those who are justified. I will get to glory. I will bring them to glory. And in this, listen, In this, the hope does not disappoint. Okay, I'm going to ask Tim and the band to come out. As we think about hope, we're going to respond in the song. I want want us to think about hope in this this newer way, in a way it's biblical hope. 
that New York Times writer in his article, The Power of Hope is Real, he, he pointed out, remember he said, he said, you know, it's the giving of a cow, a few goats, even, even a few bees, right? And uh, he said what was most important was not the animal, right? This is totally secular article. It wasn't the animal. It was the hope it produced. And in this Advent season, let's remind ourselves that God didn't give a cow or even a perfect bull or goat or lamb, four-legged variety. God gave his son. Oh, God, he gave his son. And in him, you all, is the only hope that does not disappoint. That's it. If you have not put your trust in Christ, this is the only place in which hope does not disappoint. To believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised again, and he did it for you. And this is our encouragement in this holiday season. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song in response to God's great love for us. And when you see the word hope in this song, Think not of the hope that we all raised our hands on when we thought, man, I've been hurt by hope and disappointed by hope. Think not of that. Think of the hope of the good news of the gospel. Think of the hope that does not disappoint.